Kia ora, and welcome to the Aspire Church podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we pray this message inspires you to love strong, shine bright, and live free. Before I say anything more, I really want to share with you what I feel God had, what God said to me as I was preparing for this day and this morning, and I'm just going to read it straight out, what God gave me. I journaled it over a couple of days. And this is, one, this is what I have for you. I'll make a copy available for the leadership. You can judge it. Um, but not until after tomorrow morning because I leave town <laughs> tomorrow morning. Okay? That's good. This is what I felt God say. I want you to deliver an activation to what I've already said to aspire. Aspire means to reach for or set one's ambition towards something. This is, a good, this is good in terms of vision and direction. But I want them to activate what they already have. They've received an impartation. They need to step into it with faith and confidence. No more discussion or debate about capabilities. Just step forward in what I have said and activate what I've already given. It's a Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 moment. And my commendation will accompany their action. Should I keep going? Yeah, keep it going, man. To some extent, opposition continues because it has worked and stifled momentum in the past. But it's time to break through the opposition and unleash boldness to overcome. Don't shrink back. Step out and you'll see the words fulfilled before your very eyes. Elisha and 2 Kings provoked the the widow to gather vessels for the oil. And the oil only stopped flowing when she ceased bringing vessels. This is the scripture for what I want to do. I want to call my people into a depth and intensity of presence that most have never experienced so they discover the rest of faith and the joy of being in me. This will result in boldness and advancement that no human strategy or ability could ever match. This is my life fully loosed in and through you. It's oneness and it's gloriously joyous. All right, and that was before the worship this morning. So your worship just confirmed to me that maybe I was really hearing from God. So I'll leave that with you. And uh, may God do all that is in his heart to do amongst you. Amen. Remember, church is not sitting in rows in a building. Church is what changes society as we go out from here. Yeah. So that's what we want to do. You know, (laughs) the presence of God in your worship this morning has just filled my mind and my heart with so many things that God has been saying to me recently that it's going to be very difficult for me to confine my comments to just three points. So I have three points this morning. I'll tell you what they are in case I don't get to them all, which is quite common for me. My first point is position and perspective. My second point is surrender rather than more effort. And my third point is dwelling and being. When I was preparing, God said to me this, and I wrote it down because I write down everything he says now. I never used to do that. And then he told me one day, he said, you know, I've spoken to you so many times in the past, but you cannot remember it because you never wrote it down. And that's, I was never into journaling. I used to say, well, it's not my thing. I don't do that. 
And then God said to me, that's why you can't remember all the great things I've said to you. You can't claim God's promises if you can't remember them. And it's not just the promises written to other people in the Bible, it's his promises personally to you. Do you know, before I read it in the scriptures, God said to me, you shall be saved and your household. It was before I read the Bible, God said that to me. And uh, my brother was saved within a year from when I was saved. My mother was saved the next year. And then dad held out for 30 years, more than 30 years. Intellectual, rational, believed more in aliens than the power of God. Um, And then on his deathbed, he was so afraid of crossing over to the other side that he let me help him surrender to Jesus in those last hours. Praise his glorious name. God kept his promise to me over 35 years, even though I could have forgotten it. I didn't because it was the first promise God ever gave me. You shall be saved and your household. We ought to stand on the promises of God, but not just the promises that are written. Every word that proceeds out of his mouth. Jesus quoted it in the desert. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone. But by every word that is proceeding out of the mouth of God. He was quoting Deuteronomy where God said to Moses, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by literally being in a conversation with God. And I want to talk to my, I'll tell you a little bit about my story because your hunger for the presence of God has to be more than just coming to meetings. It has to be more than good worship. (laughs) <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourself, John. So the Lord said, tell your story. Tell about your journey of surrender to oneness. Talk about making room. Yeah. I, I believe in these days our, pos- our position and perspective has to change. Not theologically. Most of us have have a good theology around position and perspective. But practically, we don't always have a good application of that theology. Because where you see and what you see is what you have. If our eyes are not fixed on Jesus, if our thoughts are not on the things that are above, if we don't see ourselves seated with him in the heavenly realms, we'll be overcome by COVID or whatever else next comes. And it's not about pretending that something isn't bad. It's about looking to the one who is good. And if we're not in the right position, we'll even interpret the scriptures wrong. You know, when you start reading the book of Revelation, it's this, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, you can interpret it both ways. But first of all, if you don't have a revelation of Jesus Christ, you will interpret the scriptures ineffectively. Because it's about him. It's not about the book. The book is the testimony of people in their relationship with him. And unless we're in that position in him and with him, with his perspective and his view, we'll just interpret the scriptures like every other legalistic Christian that you've experienced in your life that drove you nuts. (laughs) We'll just create a new legalism, a Pentecostal legalism, a Holy Spirit come legalism. Incidentally, if he comes, where does he come from? 
I'm not against Holy Spirit come if you mean let's have more. But if we're going to have more, where's the more going to come from? It's not a trick question. It's very biblical. Jesus said out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's not a Holy Spirit coming down through the ceiling and cover me with your love. It's you becoming more aware of his presence in you that gives you entrance into more. Because you can't get more of the Holy Spirit. You either have him or you don't have him. And if you don't have him, we can pray for you afterwards and he'll come and fill you. But if you have him, you better let him out. It's time to let him out. It's time to let the Holy Spirit flow. And we've had all this language since the mid-90s, but in most cases it's just been rhetoric. And look, I was a pastor. I think renewal probably saved me from burnout. But I still found myself saying, God, I want more. I've heard it this morning. We want more. We want more. Do you? Do we really? It's going to mess up your world. It's going to mess out your, up your plans for Saturday. <laughs> It'll mess up your vocational aspirations. It'll mess up your education. It'll meddle with your relationships. In 2013... Mary and I went to a, a retreat on Arama, <coughs> Great Barrier Island. There's, a, there's a, an old well there, a spiritual well called Arama. Been there for many years. Was part of, the founders of Arama was part of the, um, the move of the Holy Spirit that started in the late 60s in New Zealand. And we went there for a retreat. It was a retreat being... Um, we, we, Mary and I were supposed to be couple of the people who were leading this retreat but actually the main guy leading the retreat was Dave um, Garrett Jeez, help me Jesus <laughs> Dave Garrett I didn't have it in my notes you know so <laughs> and David is one of he was the he and his wife were the founders of scripture and song so many of you'll know who they are and um, he said he started the whole weekend by saying you know many of you come here to hear what God is saying and we want to encourage you. That's what we're here for. But we're not here to tell you what God is saying. We're here to help you to put yourself in a position where you can hear what God is saying. Someone said to me, where are the prophets? Why don't the prophets tell us about COVID? And um, it's because we don't live in the day of the prophets. You're the prophets now. See? What was God saying to you? Mary's got to test me in 2018 in May where God spoke to her and she's got it written in a journal because when God speaks you should write it down then you don't forget it. Where God said in 2020 there's going to be an explosion that's going to rock the whole world. Wow. She was listening and God told her. She's not one of the prophets. She's just Mary Turner. Mary Cook from Woodville. Who married John O'Turner from Wainuiomata. You know, we come from big places. We're important people. <laughs> and so Mary said, you know, we, we were visiting our son in London. She said to our son, she said, look, 
I've just got this sense something big, scary is going to happen in 2020. We'd really like you home before then. But, you know, it's just mum being mum. And she kind of put it on the shelf because, you know, explosion. She's thinking of nuclear exchange, you know. <laughs> she didn't think any more of it until end of last year. Our Prime Minister stands up and said, we just want to thank the team of five million for responding to this explosion of COVID. And when she said that, Mary said, God spoke to me about that. And she went back and found it in her journal in May 2018 because God is speaking and warning his people if they are listening. And if you need a prophet, it's because you haven't fully stepped into your New Testament calling. Now, prophets are good. The, the prophetic is good. It's to, it's to, it's, you, you know, we all need to prophesy for a sick. Did you know that? Prof, you prophesy for a sick. That's what it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says you prophesy for, to, to um, strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. So everybody is supposed to prophesy to strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. But if you need direction, you need to ask God. If any man lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without holding back. And then someone who's, who's operating in prophetic seconds, strength and encourage and comfort, will confirm what God's already said to you. That's New Testament, folks. And it doesn't mean there aren't prophetic ministries around. Of course there are. I'm one of them. But I'm only one of them because I'm a little bit more activated than the average person. But we're all meant to be activated. Amen? Don't go run around looking for a prophet. Look for Jesus. Ask him to speak directly to you. Yeah? Come on, don't look shocked. This is Pentecost. (laughs) So I'm in this retreat and David says to us, so ask God. Just ask God what he wants to say to you. Don't ask, don't ask him about who you're going to marry or, you know, are you going to be rich or, you know, is he going to send you to Siberia? Don't ask those kind of questions. Just say, God, what do you want to say to me? Don't put any spin on it at all. So I sat there and, and I said, so God, what do you want to say to me? And immediately in my head, I heard him say, I want more. I said, hang on a minute. That's my prayer. You want more. What do you want more? Why do you want more? So I can... I said, what, what do you want more of? He said, I want more space. I said, why do you want more space? So I can fill it. And then I said, well, God, how do I give you more space? You know, I'm a pastor. I'm a minister. I, you know, I spend all my time praying and preparing messages and ministering to people. How do I give you more space? Stop watching TV. So if you want more, if you really want more, I can guarantee you There's something you have to give up because you've got the same 24 hours that I've got. Everybody's got the same 24 hours. If you want more, it's just you can't get more on Sunday unless you make more space. And more space, God will fill more space if you give him more space. But to give God more space, something has to go. I was a bit grumpy about it at first. (laughs) As you can imagine. But then I started into, into this process with God that really turned my world around. Literally, Mary and I have been in personal revival since 
2013. We sang the song. I just want to get the lyric back again because it was so good. Um, oh God, come with revival. You can start it in me. Yeah. My question is, you sang it. We all sang it. Do you really mean it? Because if he's going to start it in you, he's going to mess you up. I'm really sorry. You know, here am I, a pastor, a known person in my arena. And God's saying, I want more. I want more space, Jono. You, you've been praying you want more, but I want more space. And if you don't give me more space, you'll never have more. It's not like a better meeting or a heavier anointing. You know, those things are deceitful. Because every time you have a better meeting, you want next week to be better. Every time you experience a heavy anointing, you want a heavier, heavier anointing next time. But how about ministering when you don't feel any anointing? But you know your position and you have his perspective. And you know that there is a river of life flowing out from me that makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. And you don't have to get a goosebump to know it. You know it because you've experienced it in personal relationship with him. Everything in Christendom, in Christianity, is about relationship. It's not about principles. Folks, God said to me in one of these early conversations, he says, my people are so transactional. They're looking for the principle. So what do I have to do to get more of God? What's the scripture? If I do this, Lord, if I, if I spend hours in prayer and fasting, what, what do I have to do? Find, give me a scripture. And so we find a scripture. We, oh, we find out, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in, in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. We can claim that one. But actually, it really helps to go back and look at the context of scriptures because when he said that, he was talking about your ability to give in the offering not in your ability to receive something. I will give you plenty to give. <laughs> How many are saying, Lord, I want more. I want more ability to give than to receive. Or what, one of the great Pentecostal ones is, is the anointing breaks the yoke. <laughs> Just come down to the front. We'll pray for you. The anointing will break the yoke. You know, if you look that up in, older in a newer translation, it says the fatness breaks the yoke. It's not quite as good. <laughs> and it means that when a bullock is fully mature, you can't put a yoke on him because his, his fatness, the muscular state of the bull, breaks the yoke. And a mature Christian breaks every yoke that the enemy tries to put on them. You can't just get it by having some anointed person pray for you. That's not what the prophet was talking about. He's talking about you growing up and being mature enough so the enemy can't put anything on you. We really need the Holy Spirit to interpret the scriptures, not just do it with our minds. Because it's so easy to misinterpret what has been translated into English. Ooh. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> Transactional thinking tends to be legalistic. It's cause and effect. Ask and receive. Meet the criteria and the outcome is automatic. If I just meet the criteria, give, you know, cast your bread upon the waters and in due season it will come back to you. 
So that's, that's, that's been a doctrine for big giving. Do you know in churches, some churches, we have a special message for the offering. I don't know if you do that here. I didn't do it today, so I'm just walking on water here. <laughs> because we have to somehow create a theology that will make people give. But you know, if people are really walking with God, they just give. We don't even have, well, we do have an offering time in our church in the sense we pray for it now. Everybody just gives whatever they want to give in the box or online. And we don't do a big push for it because we consider that if you're really with what God is doing, you want to be a part of it. Yeah? It's It's, it's simple, really. It's like in our family, when our boys started to earn money, we got them to pay board. They weren't too keen on the idea at first. But we just taught them personal responsibility. You've been having free meals for the last 15 years. Come on. Your mother's been running around after you, washing your socks and your filthy undies. We're just getting you ready for the real world. We don't want to take all your McDonald's pay packet. We just want a token. Preacher. (laughs) Folks. We live in a, such a transactional world. If I do this for you, what will you do for me? If I, you know, do you know, I've had many women over the years come to me and tell me what frauds their husbands were. Because their husbands were so nice and romantic when they were courting. But as soon as they got married, the gifts stopped. The special moment stopped. Everything stopped. Because you've got your prize now. You don't need to earn it anymore. Hello, you stupid men. If you want your wife to continue to be awesome and to treat you like you're awesome, start as you mean to go on. Don't deceive them with gifts just to catch them. You better keep the gifts going. Don't just deceive them with late night phone calls. Eh? Or, Or spending hours on the telephone. Are you still there? Yeah. No, you hang up. That's right. No, don't hang up. Don't hang up. (laughs) Just quality time for the max. And then, when you're married, no quality time. What's that all about? We're transactional. We don't, and we're really transactional with God. What do I have to do, God, to get you to do what I want? What do I have to do to position myself for blessing? See, I want to tell you the answer to that right now. It's real simple. There is an answer. It's called relationship. God doesn't want you to try to be good. Because the goodness that God has for you is in Jesus. But he wants you to be fully positioned in Jesus. And then when you're fully positioned in Jesus, you know, I don't have to be careful not to mess up my marriage. Because I love Mary. And she loves me. (laughs) We've got, we got that love thing going there, I tell you. It's different when you've been married 43 years, but it's still there. We don't have to try. We don't, we don't, I don't have to try to be careful not to flirt with other women. I don't have to try to be careful to not neglect Mary, because I love her and we have a communication that expresses that. We're right on the front foot when it comes to being united and one and vision and purpose when it comes to our marriage and our life together. If you're having to try, 
there's a big deficit in your life, you probably need healing because there's probably a love deficit in your life and therefore you're not able to love. But you see, the only way you can receive love is that the Holy Spirit pours out love in your heart so that you can love like God loves. Long after romance has taken a 747 to another nation, you can love. Because it's not just about romance anymore, it's about oneness. And folks, the goal is oneness. God's goal with us is one. Oneness. Jesus said it, John 17, 23, that they may be one just as you and I are one, Father. That's the goal, to be one with him just as Jesus and the Father are one. Wow, how many Christians can say that that is their experience? The experience of oneness. Now, the thing about this oneness is that it is built through relationship. It's not built theologically, although it is, it's completely backed up and supported theologically. So Jesus said of husbands and wives that, they, that the two should become one. See, oneness is the goal. So that's why, God, that's why God hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorce because divorce is the unforgivable sin. He hates divorce because it destroys oneness, which is meant to be a picture of what heaven is like. Oneness. God wants us to be one. That's not a transaction. It's a relationship. So I said to the Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to surrender. I want you to stop trying to be what you think you should be, and I want you to surrender. So the way into deeper experiences of God's love is you surrender to love. Actually, with people, you surrender to love. If you really want to know the love of your spouse, you have to surrender to that love, especially if they're expressing it in a way that is different from the way you express love, which is very common because usually opposites attract. So Mary is a quality time person. I'm an acts of service person. So she looks after me and makes me feel like a king. I know I'm loved. Other people look on and say, why do you always do all that stuff for Jono? Because she loves me. She's not trying to love me. She just loves me. Because I'm so lovable. <laughs> but that's how God loves us. He loves us because we're lovable. He doesn't love us because we have made ourselves attractive. He loves us because we, he made us in his image. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And he determined to have oneness with us. And he knows the only way to oneness is love. And it's relational. It's not theological. It's not transactional. It's relational. Relational, relational, relational. Why do people have splits in relationships? Because they don't understand that the goal is oneness. Everybody has splits in relationships. I was engaged twice before I met Mary. I was, I was just shocking at relationships. I was the most, I was just the most broken person emotionally. Searching for something in my own strength, which I didn't find until Jesus arrested me in my apartment in Auckland. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Too much to say. 
Surrender is the key to everything. So the way I have known Mary's love, I surrender to love. The way she knows my love, she surrenders to love. The way you want more faith, you surrender to faith. Faith is a gift from God. It doesn't come from you, it comes from Him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's a gift from God. When God speaks, faith comes. Faith doesn't come from you. You can't have more faith. Oh God, give us more faith. What did Jesus say when the disciples asked that question? He said, if you have faith this small, like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, right? What was he saying? What was his point? It's not how much faith you have, it's what you do with it. It's what you do with faith that makes the difference. It's not how much, you don't need much at all. Jesus said, you don't need much faith, you just need to do something with what you have. And that moves the big thing. You don't have to have great faith to follow Jesus, you just have to exercise the faith you have to follow Jesus. You don't have to have great faith to do things with God, you just have to keep walking with Him and do the next thing He shows you to do. Don't get into the trap of trying to work for God. That will just lead you down this pathway of depending on your own ability, your own strength, your own understanding. You want more wisdom? Surrender to wisdom. In Him it says in Colossians chapter 2, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we walk with Him, we have access to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But it's relational. It's not, you know, dial it into Google and get the answer. It's actually, God, what do I do here? What do you want me to do here? How do you want me to position myself here? How, what perspective do you want me to have in this situation? When I started to give more space in my relationship with God, I discovered he wouldn't stop talking. I realized that John 10 is true. My sheep hear my voice. But you know, so many Christians have said to me, I've been a pastor for 30 years. They say to me, I don't hear God's voice. I think, why not? Now, I heard God's voice clearly when I was a new Christian, but then the Christians got a hold of me. <laughs> and they started to tell me that, that you've got to read your Bible and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you mustn't do this and you mustn't do that. And you know, for 10 years, I tried to be what the Christians said I should be. And at the end of 10 years, I was miserable. And by that time, I was a pastor. <laughs> I can remember standing at the front of the church, singing the same song we sang last week, because it's the favorite one that they like. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, this is so boring. <laughs> and of course, I was, I was pretending that I was really in the glory and everything was going great. But I was actually thinking, I wonder what Mary's cooking for lunch today. I'm sorry, I'm confessing to you here, but this is how it was. And then I had this thought, I've got to get back to how it was before I knew anything. I've got to get back to how it was when I just listened to God's voice and did what he said. I just walked with him. It was a relationship. Of course, I was, I was a dropout from high school, so I was really intimidated by Bible study and having to read a book that's over a thousand pages long, for goodness sake. I'd never read a book longer than 200 pages in my life. Do you know, I was, a, I was a pastor for many years before I ever read Leviticus. Because it was so boring. I just skipped it. And then one day I thought, I'd better read Leviticus. And I read Leviticus and I got a revelation about the power of the blood. And then I thought, oh, maybe I should have read it sooner. <laughs> Folks, 
the academia of Christianity will bury you if you try to compete with it. You're just called to walk with Jesus. It's what the kids are taught to do. And then as we get older, we think we're supposed to be more intelligent, more knowledgeable, more able, more anointed, more this, more that. And it, and it puts this pressure on us. You know, the answer is surrender. Okay, God, not my will, thy will be done. What do you want to do today? Oh, go to the cross. That's not a great idea. I wasn't really, that's not quite what I was thinking. Even Jesus said to the Father, you sure there's not another way we can do this? And then God just didn't say anything. So Jesus said, no, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. And that should be the answer of every Christian. But you can only have that confidence if you're in relationship. Why was Jesus so confident about who he was, where he was going and what he was doing? It was because he said, I do nothing unless I see the Father doing it. I, I have come down not to do my will, but only to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus' whole relationship with, with the Father was his agenda was first and Jesus' agenda was second because Jesus' agenda was just to live out the Father's will. That's true sonship. See. To be who God's called us to be, sons and daughters of God. My people hear my voice and in the conversation we do stuff together. <laughs> so I, I started this whole thing of walking with God and, in a new way. And, you know, I, I, I just spend hours sitting in God's presence. And I'm an extrovert, you know, I'm a people person. I just sit listening. What do you want to say to me today, God? What do you want to? How do you want to set the agenda for today? And it totally turned my world upside down. Then I, I'd be having a meeting. I'd be meeting somebody in a cafe and I... I'd say, so God, what do you want me to say to this person when I meet them in a cafe? And you know what? If I said what I'd written down in my journal, which God had said to me, to that person, they'd start to cry in the cafe. It was sort of kind of embarrassing. It's like, sorry. <laughs> if I just rattled on my, my, out of my great pastoral wisdom, we just drank coffee and nothing happened. But if I said what God said to them, the meetings were shorter and more impactful. You can have, you can have the more of God. You've got to make room for it. You've got to give him space. You know, it's interesting. He said, if you make room for me, I'll make a place for you. You know how he said to his disciples, I'm going to go and make, I'm going to make a place or a room for you. It's, it's, it's very futuristic, but actually, because God is a now being, you can live in that room now with him if you make space. Surrender. What can I say about surrender? If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, it says in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to try to be a new creation. You just need to say, yep, I'm new. Look at me. I'm a son of God. I don't say I'm a Christian now. It's too much baggage with it. I just tell people I'm a son of God. That creates a more interesting conversation. 
But there's too much baggage with Christians. So, so many Christians out there living below standard lives. And when the world looks at them, they think, well, we don't want to be like them. Their marriages break up just like our marriages. Their kids go off the rails just like our kids. And they have to pay 10% of the income to the church. I mean, who wants to do that? So there's no advantage to being a Christian. That's how people think. But if they start to look at you and they, and, they, and they start to hear the voice of God coming out of your mouth to them, and you don't even know you're doing it, you're just being in his presence, making room, and he's saying stuff to you and you're repeating it to them. And it changes their lives. Suddenly, you're the people of God. You know, you go to that, you go to that center on the beach on a Sunday morning, man, your life's going to get impacted. Yeah? I like Ephesians 4. Just had a, a moment. <laughs> Suddenly thought I'd better look at the watch. Don't have a clock here. That's right. Ephesians 4, um, 22. Paul's saying to the Ephesus, he said, Now you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self with its deceitful desires and, and all the bad stuff. And then to put on the new self created in Christ Jesus in perfect holiness and righteousness. We were created to put on the new self to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's, that's the Bible. That's not just wishful thinking. But the bit we miss is the verse in the middle that says, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. To put off the old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and then put on the new self. Most Christians put off the old stuff and try to put on the new stuff, but they haven't had the repentance process, which is metanoia. It means to change the way you think. If you change the way you think about him, and if you change the way you think about yourself, nothing will be impossible. Do you know what you think about yourself is almost as significant as what you think about God? Most Christians have a very lofty and holy view of who God is and a very poor and judgmental view of who they are. But folks, if you're Christians, you're in. You are in! You are the new self! But the trouble is you're still referencing your old self and living in condemnation, guilt and shame. Stop doing it! Stop it! God likes you. His son died on the cross so that you could come and sit here today. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You could never do anything to earn that. He likes you. He likes you. He likes you. He likes all of you. Do you know, when I discovered God liked me, I knew he loved me because God is love and he has to do that. But when I discovered he liked me, that changed my life. I like you, John. Well, what do you like about me, Lord? He said, you make me laugh. I said, how do I make you laugh? All the dumb things you do. <laughs> I said, I hate that. I hate doing dumb things. But he said, it makes me laugh, especially watching you try to get out of the holes you've dug for yourself. <laughs> God loves you. I watch my little two-year-old son, and he does the crazy things. And nothing about it makes me mad at all. I just love him all the more. Even when his mother brings him to me and says he's pooped again, your turn, Papa. Grandson. Grandson. I meant grandson. <laughs> Not my son. <laughs> uh, 
We've got to be done with this transactional Christianity. What do I have to do to get God's blessing? Yeah. Folks, God's blessing is right here and right now. Yeah. God's blessing is all about you being who God's called you to be, not because you make it happen, but because he makes it happen. And we just have to surrender to what he's doing. We have to surrender to the changes and adjustments he's bringing in our lives. But very often when God is bringing us to that place of transformation, the thing he's asking us to do, we decide we don't want to do it. Like, give him more time. You know, the reason God told me to stop watching TV, not because I was watching bad stuff, but I'd stay up late watching TV and then sleep until 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. But he said, if you want to spend time with me, you need to get up at 5. And if you want to get up at 5, you have to go to bed earlier because I'm an eight-hour-a-night guy. So I started going to bed earlier, waking up naturally at 5 and having a couple of hours with Jesus where he just poured his thoughts into me. It was awesome. The stuff he said to me was just unbelievable stuff. Can't even repeat it. I even said to him once, if I told people what you're saying to me, they'd think I was a heretic. You know what he said? Don't tell them. <laughs> he said, when I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to you to prepare a message, John. We're just sharing our hearts together here. We don't think God talks like that. You know why? Because we don't think God is a person. We think he's God. But you're made in his image. So if you like relationship, he likes relationship. If you like having friends, he likes having friends. If you like hanging out in good music, he likes hanging out in good music. You know why? Because you're made in his image. You're made like him. That's why you like the stuff God likes. But we treat him like he's, a, he's an idol. We talk at God instead of talking with him. Because I've discovered, and marriage has taught me this, listening is more important than talking. Because listening leads to understanding. And understanding leads to connection. And connection can lead to oneness. Many couples don't get oneness because they don't connect. And the reason they don't connect is they don't understand. And the reason they don't understand is they don't listen. Now the problem with communication is when you're talking with your significant other, they always have a way of talking that upsets you. <laughs> it's very often because the, the conversation that you're having is about something that has created tension or ripples in the force. Not that I believe in the force, but you know what I'm saying. And what I had to learn to do was not react at what Mary was saying, but ask her more questions and listen. And after a while, because Mary's not a talker like me, she's more of an introvert, and sometimes under pressure, when you're stressed, you say things in a way that's a bit harsh, a bit mean, a bit critical, a bit judgmental. Don't get offended. Folks, don't get offended when, when your friends say stuff like that. It's probably because they've taken a long time to get enough courage to say what they've just said. So don't get offended. Be merciful, right? Don't get offended. Just ask more questions. Say, honey... What I hear you saying sounds a bit harsh, but can you give me more information? And she talks some more. Ah, so what I hear you saying really is not that I'm a useless husband, but what I hear you saying is you really want to spend more time with me. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. 
Oh, and you know, quality time, Mira and I are always together, but I found out that quality time is when we go to a cafe and I sit across from her at the table and I look into her eyes while she does all the talking and I give her the appropriate feedback so that she knows that I haven't just zoned out somewhere, but I'm actually listening. And when I do that, not only do I get understanding, but we get connection. <laughs> and that connection leads us to a oneness where two agree on earth concerning anything, the Bible says, you can have it. And we've seen so much answer to prayer. You know why? Because we are one. We don't have to try and agree together. We're one. Why? Because we have connection. Why do we have connection? Because of understanding. Why do we have understanding? Because of listening. And most people don't listen to God. They just talk at Him. We need connection with God. We need understanding. We need oneness. But the process to get there is surrender. Don't try harder. You just feel more like a failure. Some strains of Christianity is just you have to try harder. have to pray more. Speak in tongues more. I've spoken tongues until my just bit was tongue-tied. And it didn't fix the problem. I do believe in all those things, folks. Don't get me wrong. I'm not cynical here. I don't want to punch the religious spirit right in the nose because that would be a silly thing to do but what I'm trying to say to you is God so wants relationship with us that he sent his only begotten son to come down, to enter our world to identify with us and understand us so that we could connect with him in the same way that we connect with human beings because we know that Jesus understands and that through Jesus come into a relationship with the Father where we can walk with him and talk with him along life's narrow way and experience wisdom from him in every situation. Not just occasionally. Last thing. I've already talked about it. <coughs> the first thing was God has given us a position in Christ that is unassailable, seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms, above all rule, authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. But the trouble is, Christians get that position and then completely surrender it to the circumstances. Why has God let this happen to me? Folks, we've got to stop doing that. Every trial that you enter, you enter with God walking with you and in you to be victorious. And victory in the trial does not always mean that the trial will cease to have an effect. It just means that you will have supreme shalom in the midst of your trial. God will give you absolute love, joy, and peace in the midst of your trial, even if your trial is unto death. Because let's face it, martyrs are going to be a thing of the future, as they have been a thing of the past. The last thing I want to say to you is about dwelling and being. Dwelling with Jesus. Dwelling with God as your heavenly dad totally confirms who we are in him. Do you know, it took me, I started this journey, this fresh journey of what I call a conversation with God in 2013. And I went through huge doubts in that first year. Maybe I'm just, maybe I need medication. I'm just hearing voices, you know. Um, maybe I'm just talking to myself. Maybe this is just vain imaginations. 
And then I, but I started to have experiences like my mum died at the end of 2013 and, and God was speaking to me about it. And one morning I was sitting there and I was, I was asking God what to speak, what, what he wanted to say to me. And he said to me, John, I want you to be more sensitive towards Mary and more considerate of how she's feeling because her mum died when she was a little girl and your mum has been more of a mum to her in many ways than anybody else in her life. And so she's really struggling with the fact that grandpa's going to die. And um, you just need to be more sensitive and more considerate about that. Okay, and I wrote it all down and, my, and I said, okay, let's move on, you know, and we did. And uh, then Mary came down from upstairs and she'd been with the Lord and, and um, she said, what's God been saying to you? And I said, I handed her my journal and she started reading and then she started crying. I thought, oh God, you know, it's that bad, you know. So she handed me her journal. In her journal, she's writing and she's saying, God, I, I just want Jono to be more considerate and understanding about how I feel in the midst of his mother. And it was like, do, 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 do. So she was asking God upstairs and he was telling me downstairs. And that was just one example of, that proved to us that we were hearing the voice of God in everyday, ordinary things. Right? You've got to test it. If you're really hearing the voice of God, don't be afraid. Hand it to your pastor and say, read this. Do you think this is from God? You don't have to protect God from criticism. Experts have been criticizing him for centuries. So if you're really hearing from God, people who know you well, and especially spiritually discerning people, will recognize that what you've been hearing is from him. Yeah? But dwelling with him is about being at rest. It's about surrendering. And that's why it takes time. You can't just rush a 15 minute. Well, you can actually. Once you've activated a conversation with God, you can rush 15 minutes with him. I've got 15 minutes, Lord. Is there anything you want to say to me? <laughs> you can do that. But actually, once God starts speaking to you, you just want to stay there and ask more questions. And most of the time, God answers my questions. Occasionally, he says to me, I'm not going to tell you that, which is really annoying. But usually, it's, it's a big thing like, you know, why do people die of cancer? Um, you know, and I'm not going to give you that answer right now, Johnny. Because wouldn't it be good just to have a simple answer to that question? The point is this. Oneness flourishes when we enter his world and let him set the agenda. Just the same as he entered our world and understands us. We keep God mysterious. Often people in leadership, people who are highly educated in theological things, are happy to keep the masses in ignorance because it makes them feel powerful. But the truth is, God sent his son Jesus into the world so that we could be sons and daughters just like Jesus with God. That we could have the oneness that he has with the Father. That we could hear God's voice like he could hear God's voice. He said to his disciples in John 15, he said, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything. I looked up anything in the dictionary, it means anything. 
But the trouble is we're always disqualifying ourselves because we don't think we've been good enough here or we haven't done enough prayer, we haven't earned enough brownie points. When really we just need to shut up and listen and say, God, what do you want to say to me? I get non-Christians to do this. So you go away, you spend the next week asking God what he wants to say to you. Come back and tell me. You'd be amazed. God speaks to non-Christians if they're listening. He'll speak to anybody who wants to listen. He just not, might not say what you want to hear him say. It's like when you talk to your wife. You ask her what's on her heart. She might not say what you want her to say. But it'll create a conversation. You might have to ask more questions. But that listening will lead to understanding. Understanding will lead to connection. And connection can lead to oneness. When you and the Father are one, as Jesus and the Father are one, and when you truly have embraced your identity as a child of God, you can ask for anything. You can go anywhere. Nothing will be impossible. It's all about dwelling in the presence of God. Not just on Sunday. 24-7. Sleeping in the presence of God. Being awakened in the presence of God. Letting God have the agenda of your life. You'll discover that what he wants is exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ask or imagine. His view of success in your life will fully complete you and bring fulfillment. Folks, he's awesome. But you've got to make room for him. He's got a place for you. But have we completely surrendered our space to him? Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at your magnanimity towards us. That you so esteem us and bestow value upon us that you would want us to be in your house, to dwell with you, to be sons and daughters. You don't just want us to be good, Lord. In fact, you know that we can't be good without you. So without the revelation and release of your Holy Spirit, we can never be who you want us to be. But before we even achieve a single success as your children, you love us unconditionally with a love that transforms the atmosphere of our hearts. Would you help your people? Would you help us this morning to rebuke our fears of the future, to cast down our fears of what you may or may not expect of us, and to just surrender. Surrender our life space and let you invade every part of it. Oh, Father, would you embrace your family and your children this morning and those that are struggling to consider surrendering to that reality. Lord, would you embrace us all?
in the confidence that in your presence is fullness and joy and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. We want to be there with you. We want to dwell with you. We want to stop trying in our own strength to fulfill some religious symbolism. We just want to be your kids. So I pray, Lord, help us to open our hearts. Help us to let go. Help us to trust that you are good and that your goodness will transform all that's dark in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more information about Aspire Church, find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram or check out our website aspirechurch.org.nz